So we have got uh, Jesus calling a lady a dog. We've got fingers in ears and spit. Welcome to church, okay? I said, don't, uh, don't judge me on tonight. If it's good, that's just gravy. But some things you just wish were not in the Bible, this happens to be in there. But if you're wondering, I don't, I've read that and I don't get it, welcome to church. Uh, now, what, what are we reading? What we just read last week, if you were here, if not, the podcast is free. We found out that the Pharisees had a confrontation with Jesus. Religious leaders are against Jesus because they think he's teaching a wrong way, and really he's a wrong guy. And so in meeting Jesus, Jesus rebukes them, calls them hypocrites, because they uphold a human standard and a human law, but they ignore the obvious things in the Bible. They put human tradition above what God's already said, and Jesus is against that, so much so he needs to leave town. If you look at verse 24, it says Jesus left that place, the place where he confronted the Pharisees, and he goes to the vicinity of Tyre. He goes north and west. Jerusalem, the holy place for the Jews, is in the south. Jesus goes away from where the Pharisees came from. And while he's in the north and west, he is living in a non-Jewish area. This is not where good Jews go to vacation. Okay, he is, He's not going to the place where the temple is, where the worship of God happens. He's going to a place that most Jews would avoid. But in this place, Jesus still can't hide from people. He's with his 12. He's controversial. What do you do? You, you get away and you let the dust settle. But even in doing that, the word spreads that this miracle worker... This healer guy has come to the north. He, uh, Jesus is popular. He's got more uh, Twitter followers than Justin Bieber, who, by the way, was just beat out by, um, by Katy Perry. In case you were wondering, it happened like this week. Katy Perry has more Twitter followers than Justin Bieber, 45 million plus. I stress about these things, okay? So you're wondering, okay, move on. Well, I will. Um, but Jesus is famous. That's the point. He's not like your ordinary. We think, uh... He is the one everyone goes to. And in doing this, we see two encounters that are similar and yet totally different. And we want to look at them tonight with a view. Okay, Jesus, what do you want to do in our city? Jesus, what do you want to do in our place? And really, Jesus, what do you want to do in our world? Now, who comes up first? It says, verse 25, in fact, as soon as this lady hears about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, comes and falls at his feet. What do we know about her? Verse 26, the uh, woman was a Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia, and, she, um, and, and she's not a Jew. So basically, what do we want to know? We want to know that this is the person, if you're reading this, and at the time, just when Mark writes it, this is not the kind of person that should get anything from God. This isn't the type of person that should be coming at Jesus. She's a Greek. Uh, she is a woman. Uh, so that would discount her if, she's a male, if he's a male Jewish rabbi. You don't have women come to you, and you definitely don't have non-Jewish women come to you. And on top of it, she's from a town that is known for idolatry. Uh, why do they mention she's from Syrian uh, Phoenicia? It's because that was a bit of a hub of idol worship. So it's a bad place. But she falls at Jesus' feet. And what, what happens when she falls at his feet? you got to remember, she's coming for who? Her daughter. And sometimes we read the Bible and we, we think, well, that's great. Let's move on. you got to read it with her mindset. Just go, go to her mindset for a minute. 
Have you ever been in a place where the doctors have told you, I just blew out your eardrum? Have you, once again, I blew out your eardrum. Now that you have no eardrums, uh, let's pray for healing. <laughs> we actually will in a little bit. I hope I didn't hurt you. Um, so have you ever been in a place where, where you have been told there's nothing we can do? Um, they're living in a more cryptic time. We have health insurance, many of us. We have doctors. We have friends we can go to. Have you ever been in a spot where you're looking at the one that you love and they're suffering and you can't do anything to fix it? So I have to assume she didn't go to Jesus first. I have to assume that she went to everyone who was around. She went to the temples, to the gods, and she did like sacrifices. Uh, she went to the medicine uh, healers and she she probably had her daughter drink potions and tonics to try to expel this demon. She probably recited incantations. If you say this and you do that, then the evil powers will leave. She's probably done everything. Why? She's going to a Jew. She doesn't share the same faith. And she's going to this person on her knees. Please, please help me. Until we can read it with that kind of desperation. Have you ever been desperate and wondered if there's a God God, will you come and help me? That is where she's at. So we have to read it with that kind of tone. She's in a desperate situation. But we do know that Jesus changes things. Jesus isn't afraid of her. Remember the contrast. Last week, the Pharisees said to the disciples, uh, said about Jesus' disciples, why do your disciples eat in the wrong way? How come they don't keep the right religious rules and they, Pharisees, want to avoid people like Jesus and his disciples. Now, what's the next story that we see? Jesus is not afraid to be in the middle of people who don't have it all together. And Jesus is not requiring that this lady have everything in a row, have the right religious thoughts and the right religious actions and the right attitude. She's just simply desperate for her daughter who is in turmoil. And she knows that it's evil because she asked Jesus, to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, what, what, what happens? Verse 27, first, this is where it gets weird. First, let the, uh, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. We just got to confess, this is a strange conversation to say the least. Now, what do we know? If you're new to the Bible, a little bit of background is going to help this make sense. We do know at the time of Jesus, Jews referred to non-Jews or Gentiles as dogs. So Jesus isn't like slurring her. He's saying what they already know because Jews refer to Gentiles in this way. So Jews call Gentiles dogs. Here's a quote from the rabbis. The peoples of this world are like dogs. And so oftentimes we do it as well. Let's be honest. We refer to people with like a little bit of a slam, you know, slang name. Um, there's this family, the Robertson family. They have blown up all over the place. They make the little duck thingies. Duck Dynasty. Did you not? Okay. Duck Dynasty, the, the, the biggest showing of any TV show in all of cable history is Duck Dynasty, December of last year, by the way, folks. Yeah. And I know this is America. Welcome. And so if you've ever seen it, you know, huge, not Portland beards. We're talking Louisiana beards. Like, you know, huge beards. And so what, what do you, when you think of the Duck Dynasty or think of that area of the world, what are you, what are you thinking? Ever hear the word redneck? Like, I don't know if they, you know, it's a, 
a slam or a slur, but we do it all the time. We refer to people not for who they are. We, we give them a name. People deep in the part of the urban core, oh, you people in the suburbs, like, you know, or whatever. We, we do it all the time. So this is a commonplace thing Jews call Gentiles dogs. What else do we know? We know that Jesus uses a different word for dog. So you're thinking like, so is Jesus giving like a racial slur? Absolutely not. The Greek word kion is the word for dog. Now, we think dog like pet. I saw, not far from here, signed $2,500 reward for a dog that was lost. $2,500! I'm like, I'll find this dog. I'll do it for two. 2 I'll, I'll, I'll give you a discount. But, but uh, dogs... Uh, weren't, for the most part, pets. A kion, a dog, would be like a mangy dog. Think more like rat, vermin. Like, they, 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 they eat things that are scraps. And that's why, really, the Jews call the Gentiles. They're like, oh, they're, they just get the scraps. We're children of God, which was horrible. But Jesus doesn't use that word. He uses a different word, kanarion, which did mean little puppy or little pet. And so some people did have pets in that day. So Jesus, even though he says that the food is for the dogs, he is not referring to her in a slam. He's taking what's already said, but he's throwing a little bit of a twist. Now, the third thing we know is Jesus is not talking about pets and food. He's talking about his mission. Jesus' mission was to be the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah for Israel. Now, if you're new to, new to the Bible and you think, well, how come Jesus spent so, so much time with Jews? I thought Jesus came for everyone. I'm not a Jew. Does that mean Jesus thinks of some people better than others? Absolutely not. But Jesus, if you know the whole story of the Bible, he steps in in the middle. And God had made a promise early on in the story of the Bible that the whole world was going to receive God's blessing. And the way that he was going to do it, he's he'd start with one guy, Abram. And if Abram obeys and follows, his descendants obey and follow, he was going to show how incredible it is to know God. And out of this people that end up being a nation called Israel, out of their relationship with God, as they model out life with God, everyone else is going to say, I want to know this God too. And God's goal was the whole world would love him and know him, starting with a group of people and going to the ends of the earth. But Israel had messed it up. We talk about this all the time. And so Israel, instead of being a light to the nations and being a model, they were broken and they needed rescue. They needed God's touch. So God sends his son Jesus as a Jew. Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, for at the right time, Jesus, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, rescue those who were born under Jewish law. Jesus is for Israel because they're broken. So if you're looking at the model of what it means to know God, they're a mess. Jesus steps in to fix their mess and out of that invite us in. Why do I say that? Is because Jesus, for the most part in the Gospels, doesn't spend a lot of time with non-Jews because he primarily came to rescue the people that were promised and out of their salvation, out of their beautiful experience with Jesus, life would be available for us. So Jesus is not talking about the dogs, but he's, he's stepping into the problem that she has. If Jesus came for Israel, what about her? Like, is it her fault that she wasn't born a Jew? Is it her fault she doesn't live in the right zip code? Absolutely not, because we see what Jesus 
does. The conversation, 27. First, let the uh, children eat all they want, he told her. It's not right to take the children's bread, toss it to dogs. But look at her response. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This is so awesome. She, she gets it. I want you to see this. The, the reason this story is here is to contrast what we just read. Pharisees have PhDs in the Bible, and they don't get the story of God. They think that God wants us to look good on the outside, then he'll accept us. She, even though she's not from the right zip code, not from the right heritage background, doesn't have the right last name, she actually gets it. How, how do we know that? She says, uh, um, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's bread. She's not saying that Jesus should do anything for her. She's not saying that she's a part of God's family, the Jews. She is saying, yes, okay, great. You've come for the Jews, but even though I don't get a seat at the table, wouldn't it be okay? I mean, those of you who have kids know kids spill stuff. So, okay, Israel considered themselves God's children. If you were a Jew, you would say, I am a child of God. My father is Abraham who followed God. And so she's like, okay, that's fine. She's not asking for an argument. She's simply saying sometimes the kids spill stuff. The blessing of the father that goes to the kids, it sometimes hits the floor. And all I need is a crumb. What she is saying in her attitude and the way she approaches Jesus is, yeah, I may not be from the right family and may not be from the right zip code, but I'm just asking for a little bit. Will you include me? Which was God's point from the beginning? God's point from the beginning was that every single one of us would know who he is. God's point from the beginning is that you would know your creator, follow him and serve him. And so she humbly says, that's great. I don't need a spot at the table. Would you just do something for my daughter? And let me tell you, my friend, anyone who approaches God with that kind of humble attitude, anyone who says to God, hey, listen, I'm not the best and I haven't done the most and you know me and you know my issues, but God, I would like to know one piece of who you are. God, would you come and invade this area of my life? You will get the response that Jesus gives. Verse 29, Jesus told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And so Jesus is happy to say yes. He's thrilled when people come to him and he's ready to make a difference. Now that's story number one. But there's not just one, they're back to back. Look down in verse 31. He continues, uh, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and he went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. So Jesus is walking around. This is about 120 miles. So this, this is the, happened the same day. But Mars is going to give us two of, I think, many things that happened when Jesus is away from Israel up in the north and he's about 120 miles. That's like you and me walking to Eugene. So Jesus is on a very long walk. And as he's going along, another group encounter him. Uh, verse 32 says, Some people brought a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, which implies he could talk at one point. So he wasn't born deaf, but he, he'd learned a language and somehow lost his ability to speak. They begged Jesus to place his hands on him so the friends are there to help. Notice, the first encounter is a lady who's there for her daughter. Now we got a couple of friends. 
or colleagues or relatives we don't know, but they're concerned about this hurting person. They bring him to Jesus. And verse 33, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus puts his finger in the man's ears, and this miracle starts to unfold. Now, what is this about? The man could hardly speak. He was confused in speech. He had a, he had a tied tongue. Um, is there anything significant about that? I think there is. Um, this is the one time we see this one word used in all of the New Testament. It's a Greek word called magilelos, and in it, uh, we never see it again, but there's one other reference to it, and this is what I think Mark is trying to say. A little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's worth it. This one Greek word is also used in the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, but when you translate it into Greek, you find it in Isaiah 35, and we're just going to throw it up on the screen for you to see it. What's the significance of the fact that he can't speak? Why does Jesus heal someone who can't speak well? It's because this is part of the promise of this rescuer. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah is given a word by God about what's going to happen in the future. And it says, this is just part of a quote, seems obscure. The glory of Lebanon will be given it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Now, that place, Lebanon, is the same place that they're talking about. Tyre and Sidon, the Decapolis, is Lebanon to them. So in the future, Isaiah the prophet says, in this point on the planet, they're going to see the glory of God. It happens to be the same place where Jesus is. Be strong, don't fear, your God will come. He'll come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. This is where it gets tricky. This is interesting. In the time of Jesus, the Jews believed that when Messiah, this, this rescuer, comes, he's going to rescue God's people, Israel, from non-Jewish rule, from Gentiles. So the view in Jesus' day is that when this Savior comes, he's going to crush the Gentiles who are oppressing God's people and save the Jews. And that's where you get it. He'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution. Those who are against God's people, God will come and save them. So when Jesus starts healing non-Jewish people, those who read the Bible don't get it. They say he can't be God's Messiah. He can't be the deliverer. Why? Because when the deliverer comes, he's not going to help non-Jews they're our enemy. He's going to crush them and save us. But God is doing something bigger and more beautiful. What do we see? When this rescuer comes, then uh, will the eyes of the blind be opened? Did Jesus heal blind people? Absolutely yes. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Does that happen in this encounter? Absolutely yes. Then the lame leap up like a deer. Did Jesus heal people with brokenness in their legs? Absolutely yes. And the mute and this is where I get that phrase, the mute, same word right there, uh, the mute tongue will shout for joy. Jesus is more than a nice guy. He's more than doing random acts of kindness. Yes, the healings, you need to hear this, are about the people, but the healings are also a sign that it's not that Jesus is just a nice guy. God, what he has promised, he is about to do. What is a mess, God is going to make right. And so Jesus doing these acts in the north, in Lebanon, 
and he's opening the mute mouth so they can speak. It is a sign that God is at work and that he is enacting what he had been planning to do for centuries prior. So, so Jesus heals him. What does he do? He sticks his fingers in their ears, like which is pre-Q-tip era. This is like, you know, because everything you never wanted to hear about. But he does it. I don't, why does he do it? I have no idea. Uh, why, why not just speak? If he just sent the girl home and the demon's gone, why doesn't he just say, ears open? I, I don't know. Then he spits. Does he spit in his hand and touch his tongue? Does he spit in his mouth? I, I, this, I, I don't know. It doesn't, it's not clear. But we do know that people believed in the time of Jesus that there was healing element in saliva. And there is records of people praying and, and, and touching with saliva, this combination of prayer and saliva. But, but is Jesus just doing like home remedies? Absolutely not, because this is what we see. Some of you are intrigued by that. Like, oh, wow, he's organic. Um, no, he's not. Um, he looks up to heaven, verse 34, and with a deep sigh, he says to them, Ephatha, which is Aramaic, the local language of the day, be opened. If he did the other stuff without saying this, it would be a little weird, but he's stepping onto where she is, where she's at, what people are comfortable with, but then he looks to heaven and he says, be opened. He doesn't do magic. He, at the right moment, speaks a word of healing. And, and what do we see? At this, the man's ears are opened at the moment he speaks. The man's ears are open. His tongue's loosened. He begins to speak plainly. Now, Jesus commands them, don't tell anyone. Does it work? No way. I mean, come on. This is totally too good. Like, if someone were to come in here and totally not able to do something, and Jesus in his goodness sets them free. All right, great. And um, there's crackers, and there's a veggie tray, and there's, there's hummus. Have a great day. I would freak out. And so should you, because when Jesus is doing his work, now he says to them, don't talk. Why? Because every time people talk about Jesus and elevate him, the leaders come against him and try to stop the work. But it says the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed and amazed. He's done everything well. It's a little gloss over of Genesis uh, 1, 31. At the end of Genesis 1, God makes everything, and, and God says it's all, everything is good. And so ironically, these people say what's back in Genesis 1 when God makes everything. When God makes us, he makes us good. And what, what Jesus is doing, he's putting this, this guy right back to like the Genesis picture. He's met God and he's functioning well. And that's a beautiful statement of God's heart for you and for me. And, and then it says, they said he does everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, um, we want to pray because we believe that whenever you get to a text like this, we try to line up our lives in light of what is written and what God has said. So in a, in a bit, um, we're, we're going to pray that God would make us whole, those of us who are broken. But four quick thoughts about this before we pray. And tonight, if you're here and you're, you're hurting and you're in need, Jesus is alive and he's working. But four things really quick, they're obvious, but they may be helpful. Number one, Jesus responds to our cry for help. We need to remember that even though we don't see him face to face, and sometimes we feel distant from God, in the text, he 
He is there when people are crying to him for help. So a bunch of people bring a guy. A mom comes for her daughter. And when you go to Jesus in your room, alone, in the office, in your car, as you're doing your errands, and you are hurting and burdened, you need to know that God's position towards you is good. His attitude towards you is good. He is not against you at all. Now, he may not be excited about all of your life, and he does come to mess us up in the good sense, to rip out the self-destructive things and make us right, but his attitudes in his heart towards you is good. And so he's not far off, and he's not pointing the finger. He wants to hear you express faith in him. The second thing is Jesus honors uh, people when they come to him in faith, no matter where they come from. So you got a Greek lady from uh, Syrian Phoenicia, the least likely person from the least likely place. She gets a touch from Jesus. And then you have a guy. Is he a Jew or a Gentile? The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that someone like him would be considered unclean, unfit for worship. But yet the greatest teacher in all the universe steps in and touches him in his places of deformity, which is unheard of. You don't do that. But Jesus does. And he honors you when you express your faith in him. And I hope that you do that tonight. The third thing uh, that we see is that Jesus does everything well. He recreates us. And in these encounters, you see him putting people back together the way they should be. Should this daughter be affected by demonic powers? No. That is not God's will. It is not God's heart. It is not God's best. And so Jesus simply comes and brings what God would do into that situation. And we need to hear that. When we are in the worst of situations, it is not God's design for us. Now, God does use it. And God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Yes, he does use it. Yes, pain and suffering and misery and, and, and all of that are part of the human experience and part of it what it means to follow God. And we all get that at times. But we need to know that God's heart is to recreate things in the way he intended. And it may take 10 years and it may take a long time, and it may take a process, and it can be instantaneous. But God's heart for us is good. And when we express faith in him, he does things well. Now, well for some is instantaneous wholeness. Well for others is a development of character within the season of hard times. And at the right time, God brings rescue. Well for others is they don't receive rescue on this side of eternity, but even when God heals these people, they die. And in the end, if we're made right with God, then we get full rescue. That's life with God forever. And so we need to hear that. And the last thing is that Jesus responds in different ways. You can't cookie-cutter Jesus. You, you, you can't put him in a box. You can't say, this is how God works, and this is how Jesus works, and if you do this, and you don't do that, and then if you get it all right... I could guarantee you Jesus will do this. That is absolutely ridiculous. Jesus speaks to the woman. Jesus touches the man. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, is amazing. And he's amazing, and in the way, and in a customized fashion, he touches people. But what we can say is that when we come to him, and we are broken, and we are hurting, he is there. And maybe you don't get it all tonight, but we would... Uh, love to see you take one step closer to Jesus' rescue over your life. So the real question tonight is, what part of you needs Jesus' touch? Like I said, we want to pray. 
And, and in a moment, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something bold and courageous. But we see it throughout Scripture. When people were confronted with Jesus, they either came to him, they knelt or they stood or whatever, but they approached him and, and asked that he would do a good thing. Or others stayed away and, and were afraid. And those who came close received a touch from Jesus. And so we're going to invite you in a minute, if you're experiencing whatever that may be, especially physical, there's a, some area of life that's just not the way it should be, and we want to pray. Why? Because we just read that Jesus transformed two people. Jew, Gentile makes no difference. He's for you. And he did it in different ways, but we want to invite all of us as a community to get used to the fact that when we are broken, Jesus is the healer, and Jesus is the rescuer, and he's got good for you. Tonight, you need to know this. Jesus has good for you.